This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 618. And the quote of the day is, incredible change happens in your life when you decide to take control of what you do have power over instead of craving control over what you don't. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 618, and I got a really special announcement that we just rebuilt the entire Drummer's Resource website from the ground up, and a few things that you'll notice right away when you go on there. One, there's a powerful search tool, and you can find all of your favorite episodes, your favorite drummers, things like that, super robust search tool on there, and on the homepage, all of the most recent 12 episodes are on there. The latest episode is displayed right at the top. It's really beautiful. And then we updated some of the colors and made it cleaner, you know, a cleaner look and feel, things like that. It's a lot easier to navigate on mobile and things like that. So I'm excited about it. It's been a long time since I refreshed the entire site. So I've made some changes here and there, but not a, a, a full redesign. So check it out. Just go to drummersresource.com. I'd love to hear your feedback on it. Let me know if you have any if you have any glitches or concerns or feedback or, or anything about it. So check it out. It's at drummersresource.com. And let's get into this conversation. This is with Mr. Yost Nickel. And I had Yost back on the podcast in April of 2015. And I was thinking it was like a couple years ago, but it was actually, what, six years ago. So uh, we had lots, lots to catch up on including his new record, some books that he wrote. And we get really deep into conversations about not only practicing, but approaches and and the mindset that goes behind it and how you can implement these things into your playing, into your life. And it's a great conversation with a man who uh, has been there, done that, walked the walk, and uh, now is talking the talk on the podcast. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with the man, Mr. Yost Nickel. Yost, what's happening, man? Oh, yeah. It's quite late here in Germany right now. What time is it? It's, uh, well, it's not very late. It's half past 10 p.m. I mean, it's late enough to be to be doing an interview. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, fitting it in. We kind of got it done last minute, too. You emailed me this morning and said, can we do it today? I said, let's do it. Yeah. 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 You said today is cool, so I, I, I just tried it. It, it works. Short notice. I, I yeah. like it. You and I were just talking before we hit the record button that, I mean, for me, I think, I feel like as I get older, time just travel moves faster and faster and faster. And I was like, oh yeah, I had Yost on a little while back, right? I'm thinking maybe like three years ago, April 20th of 2015. So six years it's yeah. been, you were episode 99 and now we're at this year's is going to be episode 618. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it's been a while. Yeah. I, I, Normally, when I uh, think about these things, how how time passes, I'm always 
if I feel like it's four years, I prob I'm probably going to say seven because yeah. <laughs> I always know that my feeling is probably wrong. Probably wrong. I'm, I'm the same way. Uh, you have been in, in the last six years, you've been very busy, my friend. Uh, you, we, when you were on the groove book had just come out. Mm -hmm. And after that, in 2017, you released the Phil book, which is something that I, that I definitely want to talk about because the groove book, I felt, um, I, I felt like, I don't want to say it was easier to understand, but what I mean by that is it was, you could look at it, you could, you could digest all these, these grooves and then you can go and then you can play them. Right. And you can do the same thing with the Phil, but the part that I always think we miss is, okay, when I learn all of this stuff, how do I start to implement it into my playing without yeah. saying, oh, this is Yost Phil number 37 out of his book, and I'm going to put that into my playing. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it is. It's not, there's no easy answer, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I, for me, drum books, first of all, are about, you know, creating something that is fun to, to work out of. Because, you know, we play a musical instrument because we want to. That's the only reason. There's no, there's no rational reason behind it. Because it, it, if you look at it from a rational standpoint, it doesn't make sense at all. You, you have to put, it, put in so much time to, to just become quite good. Mm -hmm. and, and even a lot of more time to become really good. Um, so, yeah, the books are, for me, are about creating something that is fun to work out of but then of course you might want to be able to to implement some of the stuff in into your playing mm -hmm. and for me one one way of doing it is it definitely in a live situation in a concert because that's that's really the, the gold standard if you if you manage to play something in a concert at least that's how it works for me then then i'm good with it forever really right and, and I, what i sometimes do is when i play now i didn't play any concerts really but when i play shows and uh, there's really something i want to i want to crack right now i want to implement and uh, i would probably use that idea on purpose in a song where i think it fits so that's I, leave, I, I for a little while I leave that state of okay I'm just in the zone I'm just gonna play whatever comes out and I I'll be very um, what's the right word analytic like about methodical it about analytical about methodical yeah but only in one very small spot mm -hmm. not not in every song maybe one song sure. in, in a set <clears throat> excuse me so that that's how I approached some of the stuff. Um, that I felt like I can play it, but it doesn't really come out naturally. Mm -hmm. Or I well, one of the thing. Yeah. Well, sorry, or, I, sorry to interrupt you, but I think the important thing that you said there too is where I feel like it fits in the song, not like oh, I remember I worked on this thing, and I'm just go. I'll just throw it in wherever I just want to throw it in. No, no, no. That's probably not a good idea. Um, and then, <laughs> and then um, at least the 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 Phil book is very methodical in a way that um you don't learn specific fills mm -hmm. there are some of course i needed examples but but um, it's more about the systematic um approach regarding the rhythmic side of of what you do not 
it's not about um, actual stickings or licks. It's more about how, what can you do, for example, in a 16th note grid, what are the, the most common ways of phrasing? How can, mm -hmm. you, how can you phrase a fill? Even, you could even use this for grooves, but in the fill book, it's obviously about fills. So um, one way, one very common way of phrasing is you, you play a figure that is exactly one quarter note long. So the, the phrasing is very easy. It's just quarter notes, right? And then the first step would be to, to, to uh, displace that phrase by an eighth note. So you have two different starting points of that phrase, which is on the downbeat and on the offbeat. Mm -hmm. And then you also play something that leads you from the downbeat to the offbeat and back. And um, this is like a first step. And, and once you realize that this in 16th notes, let's see if you can follow, is, well, a phrase that is one quarter note long would be four 16th notes. Mm -hmm. And a phrase that leads you to the offbeat would be two 16th notes. So it's groups of four and two. Mm -hmm. So once you realize that this gives you... Um, the ability to to play any phrase which is four sixteenth notes long, combined it with a smaller phrase, and then you have the ability to shift between downbeats and offbeats. And the the idea is that you that you first, of course, use the sticking that I suggest, and then come mm -hmm. up with your own stickings. Mm -hmm. So. That's how I always approach it. So let's let's say uh, I heard a drummer play something at a gig. And of course, it was too fast, and I couldn't figure it out. Um, then I, I, I was aiming at the impression that I got from this, and not because I couldn't figure out the exact sticking. So maybe the impression was, or, or the sound was, um, toms with two bass drum kicks, mm -hmm. or toms with one and two bass drum kicks. And then I would just come up with my own stuff. I would just ex experiment, okay, what could I play that creates the same sensation but is not the same? Mm -hmm. And then I would always have that lick, that one little thing, and then start displacing it from the downbeat to the offbeat. And if you work like that, then I think this, the, the stuff will come out more naturally because you're not thinking about long licks you, you're you're mm -hmm. just thinking about short ideas that you displace right from downbeat to offbeat and that's just now we just talked about um playing a phrase that is one quarter note long and then the other phrase which is an eighth note long but of course you can do it lift it up and uh, like a subdivision and then um you, you don't play 16th notes you play 32nd notes for example and right, you do the right. same and you do the same, and mm -hmm. then you, you, you your phrases start on every 16th note, on the first, on the second, on the third, on the fourth, if you yep. do the same, and so on. So you, you start with an easy-to-understand concept. Mm -hmm. You need to really work on it so that you can hear the phrases correctly, that you always know feel where the quarter note pulse is, and then from there you, you take it up one level and make it more advanced right and i worked like that for for years 
and now I don't have to. I'm I'm when I play, I might be thinking, oh, I I'm gonna play something in sixteenth uh, notes now. So that would be my way of thinking about it. But not I'm not thinking, okay, I'm gonna use this right left kick, and then the next it's right left left kick. So it's it's more the rhythmic idea behind the lick or behind the sticking is what I think about when I play. Get ready for the new Promark. Promark is reintroducing itself with two new performance pillars. Promark, the home of their rear-weighted, performance-driven rebound and finesse lines, and Promark Classic, a celebration of the timeless feel, look, and straight-ahead performance of Promark's golden era. It doesn't matter which pillar you choose because every pair of Promark sticks is perfected with ProMatch. Only ProMatch ensures unrivaled consistency of weight and pitch from stick to stick and pair to pair. Also, Promark shows its commitment to the environment with Play, Plant, Preserve. Promark is planting trees with every pair of sticks sold. They've already planted approximately 600,000 trees back to the Tennessee soil, and they're not stopping there. When you play Promark, you're playing the only drumstick out there made from sustainably sourced and replanted wood in keeping with their vision for a net neutral future. For more information, visit Promark.com. The Saturn Series drums have been a cornerstone Mapex Series for more than 25 years. Now, the Saturn Evolution Series combines the best of all things Saturn in one series, including the halo mounting system, which unlocks the freedom of full resonance, the sustain adjustment knob that gives you full control of resonance, decay, and tone, birch walnut hybrid shells that perfectly combine the sonic characteristics of walnut with the articulate punch of birch, delivering a dark, punchy, dry sound, and the iconic maple walnut hybrid shells, which has been at the core of the series for many years, providing a fuller, rounder tone with bright, versatile, open sound. For more information about the Saturn Evolution series, visit mapexdrums.com. You sort of answered this already, and I was going to ask. It it seems like while you're telling me this, you just broke down your systematically how you play the drums, and the conversation that you and I had, you know, how six years ago, um, I had mentioned, and, and I still say today that the main thing that really attracts me to to your playing is how you have this ability to sort of suspend time. It feels like, and mm -hmm. and and you're really good at at pushing it and pulling it and extending it and shortening it, and to me, that I mean, that's where th that's the stuff that really lights me up inside is like the the intangible mm -hmm. stuff like feel and tone and 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 this would be your phrasing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's such a hard concept to not only learn but teach and and really develop it on your own you've such a you've done such a good job at doing it so the question is did you deconstruct your playing and figure out oh this is what i do and i'm going to write a book about it or was that how you developed everything years ago and now that you've mastered it you said okay now i'm going to write a book about it both really both yeah um so sometimes i would you know i try to stay away from analyzing my own playing too much so mm -hmm. I don't want to do this because sometimes I had to or 
it was the easiest way of getting something done. For example, uh, you film, you have a video shoot and like a drum related video shoot. And you know, there's a solo in, in this one song. And then the video shoot is always like artificial situation. Yeah, You're the only right. musician in the room. And then there's three or four people taking care of everything and everybody's very focused and concentrated. So you inspiration might not be the first thing, right? Because there's no audience. So right. I have to always have something. I, so I prepare these things differently than live gigs. Mm -hmm. So I have I have some I I know kind of when I play I have to play solo in such a video shoot I I know kind of which vocabulary I'm going to use and um, so and I will also practice that beforehand and then so that's kind of you know analyzing it more mm -hmm. than I usually do and then it's hard to get rid of it again because I want to get rid of it. I don't want to play the same solo all the time. For the video shoot, sure. it's cool, but then I don't want to. And so I try to not analyze my playing too much because it also, um, you know, you lose the kind of innocent approach about it. Because mm -hmm. when you know everything, what you do, it's, 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 on the one hand, it's boring to yourself. And on the other, on the other hand, it's too predictable. Right for my right. own taste so um and when i i think what what my way of practicing is i'm always aware that this there's a rhythmic side to what we do every musical instrument right there's mm -hmm. no musical instrument that doesn't use rhythm and the way you can phrase is never going to change the same as um there's always going to be 16th a 16 16th notes in a bar of 4 4 time that's right. not going to change never ever right mm -hmm. and 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 also the the way you can you can phrase to me has always something to do with shifting between downbeats and offbeats that can be like i said in eighth notes you're using you're actually playing 16th notes but your phrasing is in eighth notes because you move from the downbeat to the offbeat in eighth mm -hmm. notes, but this will also happen in 16th notes, 16th note triplets, and so on, in all subdivisions. So <clears throat> you can, so the rhythmic side is always going to stay the same. That's that's my rhythmic side. And then I'm then I can use loads of different different um, stickings, you can call them licks or whatever uh, combinations to make these phrasings come to life. Mm -hmm. And you can also um, change the sound of your playing by not changing the phrasing, but changing the orchestration and the dynamics. You still use the same rhythmic idea, but it sounds a lot different because of you, you play a different orchestration or use it, use it very dynamically. And sure. so to me, the rhythmic side is always the same. Mm -hmm. There's no, you can't change it. It's just math. Yeah, that's, <laughs> unfortunately, I, I think a lot of drummers and I'm guilty of this as well. Like we get locked into that mathematical trapped inside of that box where everything, you know, is, is like snapped to the grid, not really snapped to the grid, but our playing is snapped to the grid and you crash on one and everything is and it gets very, it gets very boxy. And 
with the stuff that we're talking about. Like I remember when I learned about like four note groupings and three note subdivisions and I was just like, yeah. and it, it just totally opens up. I, I didn't realize there was all of these other rhythmic things that were out there and it's all stuff that we can already play. It's just a matter of orchestrating it differently, changing the accents, moving it around. Um, do you think that, well, I already know the answer to this. You would say, get the book, but um, <laughs> yeah, get the book. Yeah. Because I think that, because I think the hard part is just opening the door of getting out of that box. Yeah. And I, I think, think that once you mm -hmm. open that door, so many things open up for you as a player, musically, rhythmically. I mean, everything just sort of changes. Yeah. And you have to, you have to really put in the work. That's, that's the thing. And I think what I always found fascinating and still I find fascinating when I play something or I hear something and I can't really keep up my inner quarter note parts because I'm not hearing it right. Mm -hmm. Then I will work on that thing until I hear it right. And then one step further until I feel it right. The, that was always very important to me. I, I would never accept in my own playing something where I was kind of, I don't really know which subdivision I'm using right now. I have to mm -hmm. know. Then I can step back and play more freely if I want to. But um, I always wanted to, to hear the stuff right. So I would, you know, every day I would challenge, challenge myself with like complicated rhythmic stuff to, to mm -hmm. be better at hearing it. And then... Once you can hear it, you can use it. But if you can't hear it, if you play, like you said, you play four-note groupings in, in, in triplets, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, then you have, you have in, a, in a bar four-four time, you have 12 eighth-note triplets. And if you play the group of four notes three times, it's 12 notes, right? right. So it fits perfectly in one bar of four-four time. So one thing is knowing that. But the next step is hearing it. Right, without playing it, you have to hear it without playing it because um, if you need yourself to play it to hear it, then I think you know you you can't execute it right because while you play it, you're just realizing what you actually do. I mean, you knew it before, but you're hearing it just then, and I think you have to this particular rhythm you have to instantly hear how that sounds the quarter note pulse and then then you have to right. instantly be able to play that and then always when you have four note groupings you have four different positions of these of this it's it's uh, three over four right um yeah. and then you have to instantly hear all of these four positions and i would i would make myself aware of these until I was able to hear it without uh, have, having to play it. Yeah. When when you talked about not analyzing your playing, are you saying that you don't analyze your playing in real time? Or are you saying, because I think there's a, there's the line of like, there's two sides to it. One, analyzing in real time where you're saying, okay, I'm playing, okay, I'm playing this three over four thing. I'm going to put the accent here, overanalyzing it that way. But then the flip side of it is, you know, analyzing it sort of after the fact and going back and watching a recording or listening to something. And so th the question of that, of are you analyzing those things? And then the second part of that is like, how do you, how do you walk the line of analyzing, but not being too sort of self-deprecating and like, 
and super critical on your own playing to where you're tearing yourself down. Oh, that's that's very very difficult uh, for everybody. I think I I have the feeling that that most most uh, our 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 own biggest critic is always ourselves. Mm-hmm. How is always you know, and so when I just listen to music other people played, I'm 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 just a listener. I'm not analyzing it. When I listen to stuff where I am involved, it's it's harder to just listen to it and jo- and enjoy it. And it's of course it's impossible. I can't listen to my own music like I listen to other music. It's it's not possible. I'm just you know, but I right. I try to. So the the thing is, you have to listen to what you play all the time because that's the best way to get better and mm-hmm. to make that reality check. Okay, I felt when I played it, I felt this and that, and when I hear it, the feeling I had while I played it doesn't match what I feel when I hear it. So, and you have to work on getting these two closer right so you feel good about your playing when you play and then at some point you know this is cool when you when i listen to it because i right. felt it when i played it but in the beginning you've like a beginner right you play for three mm-hmm. years you 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 feel like you sound really awesome and this is good because <laughs> then you keep on doing it but in, in fact you don't sound awesome right, right? <laughs> so there's a big gap between between what you feel and what the reality is mm-hmm. so but um as i said you have to you have to listen to gigs and recordings to get better but the flip side is it starts you have to you know it's an it's analytic and you think about it next time you play yeah yeah which is necessary because you want to make adjustments and and improvements but mm-hmm. it's a thin line, you know, you have to still enjoy playing. Yeah. As, we, yeah. so the, I, I was in a band that it was my band and we would record every single show and yeah. then we would get on the bus and we would listen to it on the way to the next show, which is like probably the stupidest thing you can do. No. But, but we all heard different things. So a lot of the guys were like, this is awesome. This is amazing. And I would be the like, super critical guy and i would be like this sucks and mainly me i was like i you know yeah. my part sucks in this i sound like shit and and i would go through that through that cycle and but after a while i was like so this isn't serving me so i either have to i either have to not listen to this stuff or i have to hear it for what it is and say okay here's the areas of improvement yeah. And then try to work on this thing because before I would just listen to it and say, I suck, I suck, I suck, <laughs> but I wouldn't do anything to fix it. I would just like criticize myself and then be like, okay, on to the next gig. Yeah, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that too. Um, so I would also listen to every gig on mm-hmm. tour and I would, but I would also learn a lot. So, so let's say you play a show and you don't use a metronome while you play. And so you, you, you learn about tempo and you learn about speeding up and you learn about holding back when in fact, well, at the gig you thought it's, oh yeah, this was, this was the perfect tempo. It was all right and very relaxed. And when you listen back to it, you, you realize, no, it was too fast and I'm rushing. So, and you need to... Normally the case. <laughs> yes. Yes. So you need to find out 
to how how to change that because and and I and um I once heard Steve Gatz say something like okay he was listening back to re recordings he had made in the studio and he felt like um after a fill normally his one was too early mm. so he would actually play the fill and then play one a little later than he felt interesting Un until he f until he didn't have to think about it anymore hmm. so i guess yeah it helps you have to listen to your own playing and and uh, make make conclusions yeah yeah you have to i'll tell you what makes me feel better as a as a player knowing that steve gad has had problems coming out of his fills because i feel like yeah. like i did for years and i feel like everyone else has too and it's and i think it's a big problem that drummers have is speeding up or slowing down going into a fill for sure you know mostly speeding up yeah. and it's like okay we're all human we all have this problem so don't don't kill yourself over it or or you know be too harsh on yourself but like but fix it but yeah. be be a little kinder to yourself about you know if steve gad used to do it then it's okay for you to do it Yeah, and, and and you know, music in at the end, in the end, music is not about perfection. Perfection is very uninteresting. It's not, it's not a quality in music. Music is mm -hmm. about reaching people emotionally. And yeah. perfection is not not an emotion, right? Definitely not. Mm -hmm. No, no. Yeah. So um, sometimes it's good to make this clear to yourself. It's not. It's not about being perfect. So I, for me, the place to trying uh, for trying to be perfect is is when you practice. That's mm -hmm. that's a good, that that's good. And then uh, when you actually play, try to you know enjoy it. Yeah, really enjoy it because you know one thing that COVID has told uh, taught me is that it's not for granted that I play gigs. And you know, last year I played two gigs, I think. Mm -hmm. So. Um, Yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, because music. There's an audience, and and the audience wants to. If if everything is perfect, they get carried away by what you do. Yeah, yeah. That's and How? that. That's the best you can. The best. That's my my. You know, when I when I go to a concert as as a listener, and I get carried away. That's a such a such a great experience. Mm -hmm. And imagine you could be responsible for somebody else having that re experience. Yeah. I mean, there's something, there's something magical when you go see, whether it's a big concert or if you're in a small club and there's just four or five people on the stage and they're just going for it. Yeah. You know, and they're taking chances and they're, and it doesn't have to be like avant-garde jazz where everything is just a hundred percent improvised, but just anything where there's just people are like, look, here it is. And this may work or it may, it may not work like that. I, I love that, yeah. that, uh, that element of surprise or the fact that all of these guys could fall on their face at any second and it'll be fine. Yeah. They're just celebrating life. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so I try to, I try to enjoy playing and I, when I practice, I'm, I also want to enjoy it, but I'm, I am a lot more technical when I practice. Mm -hmm. and analytic how do you recommend that people remove themselves from the analytical thinking when they're on the bandstand and they're not like thinking about one two three four five six seven eight one two three four five six yeah. seven eight or, or putting in all their licks and fills and they're just listening and enjoying it 
Well, if 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 they first of all they have to feel that that's a problem and that's something they want they want to change. But if they do, sometimes just making your shifting your focus helps. So um, mm. um, a lot of the um, self concept I don't know what's what's the right word. If you talk to yourself, um, oh, like your self conscious talk or like yeah, self talk, like, yeah, your self talk is not you know you're not the friendliest guy to talk to when you talk to yourself right so never no and uh, so so really what helps me sometimes when i when i play a gig and i'm talking to myself in a, in a very uh, not a, not a good not in a good way i would i would tell myself to shut up <laughs> like i like i would if somebody you're playing a gig and somebody else a, a different person approaches you and taps you on your shoulder and says hey you're sure you didn't speed up? Yeah. I think you just sped up. And then uh, you would say, come on, get the F yeah. away from here. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I don't think I would be that nice about it. No, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what I could say. So get the fuck away. <laughs> I, I'm in the middle of playing a gig. So right. I don't care about your opinion. And so sometimes I, I do this. Oh, also what helps is, like I said before, shifting focus. So if you, you, you feel like you're, you're analyzing too much and you're, you're not enjoying the music, then just make yourself listen to something else. Listen, really listen closely to the bass player and what mm -hmm. he does or she does. Or look at something in the audience that you enjoy. So shift your focus away from, from the analytic part. That helps. Yeah. It's an interesting thing to say, okay, what, how would I react? One of two things, how would I react by someone else saying this to me? Yeah. Or would I ever say this to someone else that I really care about? And the oh. an, if the answer is no, then you shouldn't be saying it to yourself for sure. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. You would probably wouldn't say that to, because you knew how stupid that is to, to it, somebody is playing music and you're, you're only telling them, Hey, you, you know, Four bars ago, you hit the snare. It didn't sound right on two. <laughs> Nobody right. cares, right? Right. <laughs> and no one, no, definitely no one noticed in the crowd. You know, uh, I mean, unless uh, you knocked your whole drum set over. and Yeah, and even if they notice, it doesn't matter because they don't, they forget it right away because they are in the moment. And the moment yeah. is somewhere, you know, it's, it has, has advanced already. Yeah. So, yeah, it's that helps. Over. Yeah, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, yeah, you know, you're you're on the way to the next gig or on your way home in your car and you're like th you know, thinking about it and like thinking that all the people who just came and saw the show are driving home too and go, "Man, if that drummer didn't miss that too on the snare, it would have been a great show." <laughs> yeah. And it it it's not, you know, g great musicians don't worry about that stuff at all. Even if yeah. like let's say Steve Gett is in the audience and you play and you miss that snare on two, he doesn't care. He wants mm -hmm. to have a musical experience, and that's not part of the musical experience that you missed that snare. Right. Nothing exactly. can nothing really bad can happen when we make mistakes. So if you're looking to get a new kit, you have two options. One, you can check out some pictures online. You can go to the store. You can see what they have there. You can drive to another store. You can find a couple more models and you can drive yourself insane driving all over the place trying to see what the kit that you want 
looks like, or you can design yourself the perfect sonar kit using their SQ2 drum configurator. And this configurator allows you to build a kit from scratch, or you can use some of their predetermined configurations and then just modify them. But you can modify everything, the sizes, the configuration, the hardware, the color, all of that stuff, and you can make it to your exact specifications. Not only that, you can get an overhead view, you can get a 3D image of it. All of that is all built into the drum configurator. To build your dream sonar kit, go to sq2-drumsystem.com or just Google Sonar SQ2. You'll find it. Check it out. The Sonar Drum Configurator. I think that's the beauty of live music is the whatever happens, that is what's cre- getting created at that moment. And you can never yeah. replicate it. You can never duplicate it. Yeah. You know, it's just, that's what happened. Yeah. And it could be something magical. It's like, you know, things have fallen, you know, on beat and, and landed on and ended up on a recording or something. And it's like, it was the most amazing timing ever, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's this, um, Jeff Porcaro, um, I, I don't remember where I heard this, but I, he told a story about this uh, Michael McDonald song, Keep Forgetting. And he drops the stick. Ah, you know the story. Yeah. Yeah, I, I heard, I mean, yes, I know the story, but then I, I, listened, I listened for it. Uh, and you can hear it. It's at like two minutes and 34 seconds yes. on the recording or something. Then you can hear it. But, go, but tell the story. Yeah, the story is uh, that, that they played the take live in the studio and he, he dropped the stick. And then he he grabbed a new one from the from the his stick bag, and because the stick bag is on the floor, he had to you know move fast to get the stick to the hi hat. And the hi hat stroke you hear is louder than the other ones. And also uh, during the time he he takes the stick, he splashes the hi hat with his left foot. I think to to mm-hmm. cut you know to that's what we do we we create some sound because we had we, we only have one stick and honestly i never heard that i i had listened to that song 50 times just yeah. because i love that record it's a great record and steve gat and jeff Ocaro on it and also you know i like michael mcdonald's song, uh, voice yeah. and the, the songs and uh, yeah but uh, i never heard it but you can be sure that Jeff always heard it. Yeah. Yep. Every hundred percent. Every time that song was on the radio, he was like, ah. Yeah. I think the best part of it, it it the noise is perfectly in time <laughs> and it sounds like an accent on the hi-hat. Yes, it does. It sounds like he he did it on purpose. Yeah, and he didn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> and 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 I I never heard it. it Me it, neither. It didn't you know, it it wasn't important. It didn't grab my attention at all. I I was listening to the music, and then, and that's a nice lesson to you can learn because it's it's not important. Mm-hmm. If the rest is fine, it's not important. Yeah, I the other interesting thing about that song, and I always think about it every time I hear it at the end. The stuff that he plays at the end is very un Jeff Picaro. Uh where yeah. it plays like all the double bit into like doom, 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 doom. And, and I'm like, I, it just doesn't sound like something that he would normally play. But yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe Michael McDonald wanted him to play it or maybe, or maybe it is something that he would play because he played it. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah, yeah. It just sound, it didn't sound like Jeff Bocaro at the end for some reason. Yeah. To me, it was always a very a Jeff Bocaro song. So I d- never looked at it that way. 
Yeah. So to me, it was like, yeah, that's him playing. I know <laughs> right. that. So he plays. It's amazing. <laughs> it's it's like one of my favorite grooves of all time. Yeah. And that's all I mean, that song, that whole like you said, the whole record is amazing. Yeah. And it's a great sure. great lesson in playing drums. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. I used to play along with that. Yeah. Did you drop the stick coming out of the chorus? No, because I didn't know back then. <laughs> I didn't know I had to. Right. <laughs> I love it. Uh well, speaking of albums, uh, I know that you you just released your own record, right. which I know is from personal experience is a daunting task. Um yeah. I'm interested to know how the the record is called the check in, but I'm interested to know how you wrote everything. Did you have writing partners? Did you do it all on your own? Because that's the thing. We there's a couple of things that I want to talk about with with this record specifically. We as drummers don't think of ourselves as as band leaders a lot of the time. We wait for the phone to ring instead of going out and creating our own gigs and things like that. And then there's the idea of like, okay, well, how, and I was just someone just reached out on Instagram the other day about. How do you how do you lead a band from from the bandstand? So I think that all of those things are important. But but let's start with the writing process of of putting out this record. Actually, I think that um, this is that you said that uh, we are strongest waiting. Uh, we are waiting for phone calls or gigs that other people uh, present to us. I guess that's true for most musicians in general, not only drummers. Um, and then it's we good take yeah. And then we as drummers have have a, a specific problem if you will because um if we want to if we want to create music that also includes melodies who's going to play these melodies because you're not you're not doing that and right if you don't want to sing them um then you have to to, to think about that right you have to think about how do, do i want my melodies to sound mm -hmm. is it guitar is it keyboards or is it something very different so that that kept me from doing it a lot uh, a long time because i wasn't sure and then uh, what inspired me is that you know it's kind of you know the people i want to play for are people that don't want to play for other people say that again so the people that i want to work with right mm -hmm. that i want to play music with or, or i want to play for these are normally people that don't care if they get called to play for other people because mm. they just create their own music. And, you know, Justin Timberlake doesn't expect uh, somebody else to call him to sing choir for, for them. Right. 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 <laughs> and, and so these people just are about creating their own stuff and then they get help from musicians or arrangers or whatever if they can't do it on their own. And mm -hmm. so that's uh, that was always the thought that I found very inspiring. And not to wait for somebody to call you, just do something that you you want to do. Right. Yeah. And I always wanted to do that, wanted to write my own music, but I was when I started not I when I started this phase in my life where I don't wait for gigs or sessions it was it really was the groove book so i was like okay what can i do i could write a book i could maybe record a dvd which was back 
in 2015. I think there were still DVDs. Now it's mm. that's not a thing anymore. Or write my own music. And I felt like writing my own music is is the biggest task and the biggest problem or the, the most obstacles or the most work. So I just started with a book. It really was like music book, music book, what, what's the first? <laughs> and, and it was really a great experience for me because I just started it. I didn't have a publisher and finished it and then presented it to a publisher. And then, you know, it got mm -hmm. published and it, it got translated, which I found ex uh, extremely important. And so that it was a success. And then I decided... Did you write it in German or did you write it in English? Um, well, uh, no, in German. German? Okay. I started in English, but then mm -hmm. um, I spoke to a publisher and he said, no, it's better if you write it in German and then we make the translation later. Uh, same with the Phil book, but then I have this third book, which is called Snare Book. I, I wrote that in English first. Got you. Because you had already sort of established yourself as an author by then. And, and now, yeah, yeah kind of go whichever way you want with it yeah and i needed it, it, the it, it came out in chinese and they couldn't translate from german so they needed english oh got you <laughs> yeah. so that was really the reason yeah um so what was the writing process like for you yeah once you got into the record so um that i have a studio in hamburg in germany where i live and i shared with uh, the bass player from the main band i play in in germany which is called jan delay and disco number one mm -hmm. you won't know it it's it's very popular here in, in germany and switzerland austria everywhere everywhere uh, where they speak german but um so this bass you've been with the, you've been playing with them for a long time though yeah 15 years wow yeah yeah that's longer than you it's longer than the Beatles even existed. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, but the Beatles made uh, had more success, I think. I th a couple. I think they had a couple hits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, we were just actually uh, originally had a, I had a different plan. I wanted to write instrumental music for that band, mm -hmm. the, the ba without Jan as the singer. I wanted to the band to play instrumental stuff, but it turned out that this didn't work because it's too many people and 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 also if the drummer from the band you play with suddenly wants to play a lead role it might be difficult for the others to to adjust right so mm, that makes sense yeah i didn't even think about that no it didn't it didn't really happen so um and then i decided to take two of that of these ideas that we developed together and uh, write melodies and um, if I needed an extra B section in the song or a C part or anything, then I would also write that. So um, coming from this, this experience is, was that, or this is, I, what I realized is if I have a little idea that I really like, then I can expand on that idea and, and, and create a song out of that idea. So um, I asked different people, hey, come to my studio let's, let's just jam on some ideas and and so i did this with two musicians from germany that are quite different both of them the one the bass player mark smith he has an english name but he's german uh, he is <laughs> he's very pop oriented also harmonically and stuff and the, the guitar player is is 
non I, I don't know if that's the word non-conformistic no probably not no he's mm. not he's he won't choose harmonically and mel melodically he won't choose what what comes to mind first let's say this so he's always a little out gotcha and the combination of the two with a very very pop music oriented bass player and then this guitar player who who's thinks out of the box was very good so we we jammed for three days and i recorded all of it and then listened back and then if i liked ideas i would take these and then expand on them so that was the gotcha. writing process really yeah it, i i think that's the biggest hurdle for every drummer is i how much how can i write yeah so whether it be getting a piano and just working out basic chords and and then bringing it to other people and saying okay can you help me flesh this out a little bit or you know for for me i you know i co-wrote with a guitar player and yeah. and he was i mean he was the guy though i mean like the record would have never existed without him um and i i think that's the biggest thing though is like you, you got to get around someone to help you write these unless you're a multi-instrumentalist and then and then you can you can figure all that out but the the thing that everyone should understand is it is possible if you yeah. get the right people you can write your own record and yeah. going back to what you and i said like you don't have to wait for the phone to ring right yeah you shouldn't i guess i should i guess you shouldn't because you lead a better life if you if you create something that that is really your own that you can control um yeah and I forgot to mention uh, regarding the writing process. So my first instrument was piano. So I, I know how to play piano. I'm not mm -hmm. a virtuoso, but, but, but I know my way around chords. So I can I use uh, the piano to then expand on the ideas. And what I found is, and I think Mark Giuliana mentioned it to me because I uh, once asked him if he had some good uh, recommendation regarding books. Mm -hmm. books that inspired him and he said the the um war of art great book yeah great book and i didn't even read the whole thing i but it's all about um why don't you do the things that you want to do and what what do you do to avoid tackling these things and and, and that, that inspired me and then um what i got out of it is that when I was composing, I would just sit down and write without being inspired. Sometimes that's the hard. Yeah. That's that's the hard thing to do because we wait. I think we as I think we as humans in general wait for motivation to come, or we wait for inspiration to come, or something like that. And if it never comes, we never write, or we never do the thing that we said that we were going to. Yeah, and I think the always the inspiration comes when you start the process. You just have to start. You, but the, this, you have to be determined about doing it and then start the damn process. And while yep. you're in the process, you will start to enjoy it, and you will get yep. some good ideas. And you will also learn that if you don't succeed in, in having good ideas for two or three days, that that's not the end of it. Right? Yep. And yep. sometimes you're inspired. You're like, yeah, I want to do this. And sometimes you're like, you're like a blank page. You just, okay, I've got to work. Working today means writing. So I'm just going to sit down and find something mm -hmm. 
And sometimes yep. it's like two hours of nothing. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now I have the feeling I got something. And then it, it all comes together. Yeah. In that so, book, he talks a lot about that, about resistance yeah. where you say, okay, uh, all right, today I'm going to whatever, write my book or, you know, I'm going yeah. to practice or something, but let me, I'm going to organize my desk first and right. then, well, let me go get, grab a cup of coffee first and then right. let me get, do this thing and do this thing. Yeah. And next thing you know, you spend four hours doing that and you don't end up doing anything. And, and, yeah. and I, yeah. I can't remember, I can't remember if it was in that book or I heard it somewhere else. Uh, it must might have been an Austin Cleon. Uh, I don't I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he no. he's written a couple shorter books um, around around creating art and sharing your work and the importance of sharing your work and things like that. And I think it was him that said it. But uh, but he said everyone wants to be the everyone wants to be the noun, but no one wants to do the verb. So people they want to be writers, and he's like, well, writers write. Writers don't just call themselves writers and organize their desk. Writers sit down and write. Yeah. And I think that's a big distinction with, you know, I want to be a, you know, I want to be a drummer. And it's like, okay, well, drummers practice yeah. and, you know, they gig or they write music or, or, or whatever it is. Um, I, I think there's such a good less, a, a good lesson there though. Like, how did you, how did you force yourself to sit down and work on something when you're not inspired to do it? Um, it was just the I because I I know it like from the from the di from a different perspective. So two things, I know how it is to work for musicians that don't really know what they are doing, and that's and it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. So, um, like singers, some singers they have no clue about harmony, but mm -hmm. they have ideas, and they will just sing the ideas to the musicians, and the musicians in a in a creative process they will listen to them understand maybe ask some questions but then the, the the ball gets rolling and all of a sudden like five minutes later after the singer has sung his melody you already have some music because everybody mm -hmm. knows what they're doing so first thing for me was you don't have to know everything um, because other musicians will be glad to help Mm -hmm. Because I'm like that too. But if somebody who's not a drummer wants to talk to me about a drum groove, I have my ways of asking him the right questions to find out what he's thinking about. And they don't have to tell me 16th notes. They, they, they don't have to tell me play the hi-hat. They just Sometimes I just ask them, could you sing that groove that you have in, in your mind? Or, is, mm -hmm. or I would ask questions, okay? So you don't, you don't have to be an expert if you want to write music. You can get help from experts. Sure. And the other thing is, yeah, that's... And the other thing is, I also learned in these writing sessions that sometimes you, you write for two days and at the, in the end, nobody's happy with any of the stuff you did. And that's just part of the process. So yep. fa failure is part of the process. And then you have to just... To, continue because you know already it's going to happen mm -hmm. when you start mm -hmm. something you know two things you're going to succeed and you're going to fail yeah <laughs> <clears throat> you just have to succeed one day more than you fail and then it's good what, what's that uh you know fall down 99 times get up 100 yeah yeah, yeah that's exact and so and then when you look at when you don't expect every time you sit down and play or compose when you don't expect that to be uh terrific every time but it can also be just mediocre 
-hmm. It's just something you do regularly. And if you do something every day, it, you can't be all excited about every day about it, yep. right? Yep. It's not, you know, I, I've been practicing today, but it wasn't like, yes, I'm going to play drums. It was more like, yeah, I, I practice because that's what I do. Right. I'm because not, you're the you do the verb and you're not just the noun. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, I guess it's all about it's also about managing expectations and and being and then just sitting down and starting. That's the most mm -hmm. important thing. Just start the thing. Do it for do it for thirty seconds. Yeah, do it for a minute. I had to put something together today that I was dreading, and I was just like, <laughs> just, "Let me just start." And next thing I know, an hour and forty-five minutes have gone by, and I'm yeah. like deep in it. You yeah. know, like forgot to eat lunch, the whole thing, and then it's like, then it's done. Yeah, and you that's know? and and that's something. Yeah, that happens. It doesn't happen every time, but it happens. And I, I already know that I'm going to to write another album mm -hmm. because I nice. I, I now I know I can do it, so I want to do one more, and I have yeah. some ideas, and so that's how I function. <laughs> sure, I I think it's a good way to function, and we have these we have these illusions that if we're doing something that we love for a living, or even if we're working on a project that we love in our spare time, we think that the whole time it's just going to be this magical <laughs> euphoric experience yeah. that like oh my god, if I love what I'm doing for a living, uh, there's never going to be days that I don't that I have to do stuff that I don't like. And I'm like, you better, that is not reality. <laughs> no, I mean, reality for me is um, even sometimes um, gigs. Like, I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I've played so many huge festivals with tens of thousands of people. And sometimes it was like, okay, let's play another one of these. Right. It's not, you can't expect to yeah, be euphoric all the time. It doesn't mm -hmm. happen, but you have to enjoy it still. And yeah. appreciate it. Mm -hmm. That's important. Yep. I mean, I like everything in life. Appreciate what you have. I I agree. Uh, I agree. Especially over the last year, I think, you know, or, you know, or in 2020, I think that people realized what's really important, what's not important, you know, yeah. how fortunate we are. Yeah. Uh like you said, gigs, you, maybe you thought that, oh, yeah, that's what I, gigs are guaranteed. Like gigs aren't going to go away and then they, they went, went away. away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who would have ever, who could have predicted that there were going to be no gigs in 2020? Yeah. You know, nobody. Yeah. So yeah, I appreciate what you have and just sit down do the work. That's really, it's really basic, I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. you have to just, and then, and then um, your fear of failing will always keep you from doing things or maybe mm -hmm. your fear of doing something which is not good right you know you might spend all this time and then in the end it ends up being not good <clears throat> and that's also part of that book we talked about so this is these are all how do you how do, does he call it again the ops uh, the the what's the, the do you remember no but he he describes things that you do that that you do to not actually do art. Oh, is that the re is that resistance? Is that resistance? The that was the word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's interesting because um, there's there's so much going on, like mm -hmm. in this department. And there's so many there's so many psychological things that go into, it, especially like the the fear of failure thing, where you know there's the idea of what if I put all this work into it and I tell everyone that I'm doing this and I and I put my hundred percent into it and then I fail. But on the other hand, 
if I don't do it, then in the back of my mind, or I can lie to myself and just say, well, I could have done it. I just chose not to do it, but yeah. I could have done it if I really yeah. wanted to. Or I know that I only put half-ass effort in because, uh, but if I put 100% effort, I could have done it. You know, And yeah. that's, that's like all these, all these lies that we, that we tell ourselves. And it's, it's hard. Fear of failure is, you know, is, is tough. But there, there's like the, the uh, different side of that coin is you could also imagine that this, uh, what you're doing now is going to be a huge success. Right. Just imagine that. And that's, maybe that helps you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just realize that, that it may fail. You know, there's, there's a probability that, that it may fail and just being okay with that. It's like, you're not going to, you're not going to, you don't hit a home run every time or you're not going to, no. you're not going to win every time. So no. And then I always, when I, I try to, I try to imagine what, what do I think when I look back when I'm, I don't know, 75, hopefully I get this old. So right. how do I feel about my life and what would be the regrets? And probably I have children. So one, one big regret in life when people get older is they didn't spend enough time with their children. So that's um, because, you know, from questionnaires and stuff, people, um, sci scientists found out that this is a big regret, especially men have. Right. So I don't want to have that regret. And also I don't want to have the regret that I chose security over creativity. So, so I, I really turned down many big gigs and tours because I felt I, I knew I wasn't feeling the music and I didn't really enjoy playing with the artist and something was off about the whole thing. So I, a lot of times I decided against a hundred shows a year and I said, said to myself, well, I, then I can maybe write a book or practice more. Right. So, but I, I'm only able to do that, <clears throat> to do it that way because I, I know when you're 75 and you look back, you're like, yeah, you stayed with that artist who treated you like shit. He paid you well, but the rest wasn't good because mm -hmm. you felt secure because you needed the you you felt like you needed the money and you didn't take any risks um so that probably would be a regret in my life at least yeah. i'm wired that way mm -hmm. and so i i would rather not play for artists that i don't enjoy playing with and then you know write another book and do more work in the drumming community yep yeah so that's this is just my way of looking at it and that always helps when i have to make decisions mm -hmm. that are that are hard to make mm -hmm. yeah regret scares the shit out of me too so and i think obviously you can't be you know we're not we're not advocating people be foolish about their decisions and and you know act like they're they you know they're gonna die tomorrow and just like go out and do whatever but uh no, but you got to make the right choices no it's quite gonna... the opposite so you 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 think like you live a long life and what would be the things that you hoped you didn't do? Right. 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 Uh, so your younger self did this and that. And uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And you don't want to look back on your life and regret that you didn't have enough courage or um, had too much. Uh, what was the word again? Re 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 
resistance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too much resistance. I, I actually know the word. So, so you, you kept, uh, you, you let resistance win over your, over your creative things or what, over the things you wanted to do. It doesn't have to be music. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's also one thing for me that I, that helps me. I agree, man. I think that that's, uh, I think that that's something that, that everyone needs to keep in mind. And I think it brought it into perspective, like I said, with COVID and, and all of that, of understanding that like, you know, your job in life is to be happy and to, to make other people happy. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And maybe, yeah, make them happy with what you want to do, right? Because, yeah, if that, if you, you know, like I said before, if you, if you, you're, you're a musician and you play a show and the, in this show, people get carried away man that's awesome yeah that's really some that's really great so if you can achieve that as a musician that's great or you write music and people listen to your stuff and they really like it they don't think about it they just feel it mm -hmm. then uh, that's yeah great did, did you ever have people who I don't want to say got in the way of your success, but were sort of like wanted you to go a different direction, whether it be family or significant other or something is of saying, hey, look, you know, you should go and do this other thing because it's probably the better choice for you, for you or, or more secure. Or you could probably make more money or or any of those things. No, no. Um, no. I, no my wife was always very supportive when i said i can't play with this artist anymore because i i get miser miserable and she mm -hmm. was like yeah i agree <laughs> you're getting miserable and i don't want to deal with you so <laughs> no she was like hey when you come back from your band you're always in such a good mood but when you come back from this artist you're always you know you don't you're not happy so what is yeah. it and i'm like oh shit you can tell hmm. so um so she was very supportive and um Other than that, no, no, I didn't have people tell me what to do or what not to do. Yeah, that's a hard thing though, because sometimes it's your wife or your parents or yeah or whoever, and people deal with that. You know, it's a it's a hard thing. So I was curious if you had if you went through that or not. So no, I, I, luckily I didn't have to. My mother was very supportive of me playing music, and my wife also. Yeah, good, good deal. Well, Yost. It has been great uh, catching up with you, and maybe we shouldn't let six years pass since the the next time we talk. Yeah. Um, but one congratulations on not only uh, getting the one book out, but then getting sequential books out, and now the record. And and I applaud you for for really taking control of your career and and i think that there's a lot to be learned there and i think that there's a lot to be said there of saying i'm not going to wait for the phone to ring i'm going to go out i'm going to create my own opportunities i'm going to create my own things chart my own path rather than throwing your hands up and saying well whatever comes to me will come to me so i think there's a great lesson to be to be learned there as well and i wish you continued success in the future with the record and and everything that you do man and and i appreciate you coming back on to chat would love to do it again soon Thank you very much, Nick. Um, yes, everything you said was true just now. <laughs> so I can't add anything except thanks. Of course, of course, my pleasure. So the check-in is out now. You can get it on all the all the major platforms yeah. and, and things like that. Go to Joe's website uh, to check out the books and, and all that stuff. Keep an eye on some dates that he has going on and uh, 
and hopefully I'll get to see you in person soon. Yes. That would be amazing. Yes. Nick, so it's been great talking to you. Likewise. I will uh I will talk to you soon. Stay safe and thanks again, brother. Talk to you soon. You too. Bye. There you have it. The one, the only Mr. Yost Nickel. You can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 618 to grab all the show notes. Also go to drummersresource.com. It's a brand new website. We just rebuilt it from the ground up and there's a bunch of new features in there, like a really powerful search tool and all the most recent episodes are on the homepage and the new episode is displayed really big and beautiful at the top of the page. And it's all there, all easy to navigate, really easy to navigate on mobile as well. We did that specifically for mobile. So check it out, drummersresource.com. Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your feedback. And other than that, until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com. Revoice Media.